Amen. Great worship tonight. Thank you all for joining in our worship time. Genesis 42 tonight. As God is calling forth your destiny, remember that God has everything you and I need to accomplish what he has planned and purposed for us. That was true for Joseph. What we're going to see tonight in Genesis 42 is that dreams do come true. Dreams really do come true. Before we get into Genesis 42 specifically, I want to say this to sort of blanket the chapter we're going to be looking at tonight. We've been talking about the fact that our God can accomplish many things at the same time. That's how great he is. And you see this again happening in this passage. And I, I want to emphasize that because I want us to just hold on to that in our own lives. We only see this little piece of maybe something happening, but God is working all around us accomplishing so many things that we aren't aware of and that we can't see, and that's why we have to trust him. For instance, there is this famine throughout the earth, and God is going to feed many people because he's a faithful God, and he's going to use Joseph and the nation of Egypt to feed not only the Egyptians but to feed his own people. He's going to use this famine to move his people from Canaan to Egypt, which is his plan. He's going to continue to grow Joseph and train Joseph for even greater things. Joseph is going to be able to reach his full potential by being the leader through this great crisis that is happening all over the earth and continue to grow himself through this. God accomplishes that as well. And God is also going to use the circumstances that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks to also change people's hearts. I really want us to think about that in these next couple of weeks while we're in Genesis 42 and 43. Because ultimately, that's really what God wants to do. He wants to change hearts. He wants to start a change. He wants to continue a change. He wants to maybe complete a change. But God is always about changing our hearts. God needed to change Joseph's heart. He needed to do some healing in Joseph's heart, especially towards his brothers. Because he needed Joseph and his brothers to sort of be restored. That was part of his plan. He also needed to change the hearts of Joseph's brothers. Here was a group of men who could care less about their brother Joseph earlier on in his life. They didn't care that they sold him into slavery. They didn't care what happened to him at that point in his life. They didn't even care how it affected their father, what kind of grief and pain that was going to cause their own father. They didn't care. God had to change their hearts because God had a bigger plan in mind. And what I want us to see also before we really get into this chapter tonight is that God doesn't treat every family this way. 
And there are many times as family members that it's not God's will that we be extra close to them or that we live every day doing something with them or that God calls us to achieve or accomplish something with our family. That's not always the case. Then why did God take so much time and put so much effort and have so much patience in dealing with Jacob's family? Because this wasn't just about a family. Remember, these 12 men were the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. These men were going to be the foundation for his chosen people. They were going to be the foundation for a nation. And in order for them to be the foundation of a nation, they had to be restored to one another. And they had to stop treating each other as if they didn't care about each other and that they had no concern or compassion for each other. They couldn't start out that way. Now, later on, we all know that nations need to be founded upon that kind of group of people, a people who can come together and be unified by a purpose, just like our nation was founded upon, and people who cared about each other and fought alongside each other and died with one another. That, that's how nations have to start. But obviously, that's not how nations have to continue. They can deteriorate over time because that unity and, and that care for one another and that love for one another can be lost. And the reason I want to point that out is because this passage then also applies to the church. I'm not saying that Israel and the church are the same. They're not. They're two distinct entities. But the principle is the same. When God starts building the foundation of a church... Same thing. He is looking for a group of people who can be unified, who can come together and work together towards a common goal and common purposes and who truly love and care about each other. It's the same kind of dynamic. Now, obviously, just like with nations, churches don't always stay that way. They can become, over time, disunified and begin to strive with one another and, and fight with one another and, and lose their love and care and compassion for one another. But it has to start a certain way. And that's why God is taking all this time and all this effort with this family because it's not so much about the family, it's about the foundation of a nation, the foundation of his chosen people. And so let's dive in to Genesis 42 tonight. Jacob was moved by what he heard. There was hunger. We saw that at the end of chapter 41. The famine was severe, hard, difficult, extreme throughout the whole earth. People were hungry and they were looking for food. And where were they going to find it? There was grain in Egypt. God was already in Egypt. God had already sent Joseph ahead so that there was grain in Egypt. Again, be encouraged. You are maybe being moved by God to your future. And God's already there, already providing for your future. He's already in our future. 
setting things up to take care of us and to make sure that we have everything we need because God is the only one that knows exactly what's going to happen in the future and therefore always sets his people up to prosper and to be blessed. Jacob said to his sons, why are you looking at or literally to each other? We're not going to solve this here. We've got to move and, and so God was using this severe famine to, to gently press his people to move, to move to where he wanted them to be, to Egypt. So Jacob says, look, I hear that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy grain for us so that we may live and not die. This is how God works in our life. I want to encourage you tonight. I have this question asked of me a lot, and so I hope that this maybe not only will be an encouragement, but helpful. You will not miss where God wants you or what God wants you to do because God won't relent. God will come and very gently begin to apply pressure, and he will keep that pressure up, you see. If it's not of God, then it will be something that comes and it will be fleeting. It will be a desire maybe that is, arises within us or that comes from outside of us, from someone else. And it's like, we should do this or we should go here. And, and it'll come and it'll go. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pursue certain things, but all I'm saying is you'll know when it's of God because God won't relent. He will continue to apply that pressure and you won't be able to escape that pressure until you deal with it one way or the other. He wasn't going to let up on the famine and the hunger until he got his people to move where he wanted them to go. Now think about this too. Can you imagine what Joseph's brothers thought when they heard from their father, there's grain where? Egypt? Are you kidding me? That's the last place Joseph's brothers wanted to go. Why? Because they knew, remember, if you go back to chapter 37, where did they sell Joseph into slavery? And where was that caravan going to Egypt? It was, a, it was a reminder to them. I mean, maybe in their minds they thought by now Joseph is dead. If nothing else, very least, he's a slave where? In Egypt. So it's like they can't, they, they've got to be confronted by their past because God again is working on changing their hearts. And if they're going to be the foundation of his chosen people, they've got to deal with something in their past that God can't. Listen, there's times where there's things that we've done in our past and, and God allows us to, he wants us, forget it, move on. But there's other things because th there's certain things that God has to do in order for us to be uh, the person that he needs us to be to accomplish his plan and purpose for us that we can't, let go of in the past. We got to deal with it. We can't just keep it back there. And this thing haunted them and has haunted them now for 20 years since they sold their brother in Egypt. And we're going to see that. And God said, I can't let that hang over your head 
And I've got to heal Joseph's heart from this. And, and I've got to work on your heart so that you will, will have a, a different heart than what you had when you sold your brother into slavery and it didn't matter to you. So 10 of Joseph's brothers, verse 3, went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, what if some accident happens to him? And Jacob is still doing the favorite son thing, which obviously caused problems and tension in the family too. And he owns it. He's part of the, he, he's responsible for some of the dynamic that's happening in his own family because as a parent, that's not something you should do. And now he did it to Joseph and now he's doing it to Benjamin too. And he's also doing this. He's not living by faith because a person who's living by faith doesn't live by what ifs. Notice those first two words, what if. God doesn't want us to live by what ifs, but by these two words, but God. That's the two words God wants us to live by. God always makes the difference. When you bring God into the equation, everything looks different. Or as even we were talking about Sunday from Isaiah, when you begin to see God for all that he is and make him bigger and larger and greater, it changes our perspective on everything. And we won't live by the what ifs because we know God's already in the future. And if God's got our future, he's got us, he's got everyone that we care about, and we can trust him, and we can fully rest in him. We don't have to live by the what-ifs. That only brings fear. So Israel's sons came to buy grain among the other travelers, for the hunger or the famine was severe in the land of Canaan. This again, second time this has been mentioned, the end of chapter 41, and now again. It was severe. It is a reminder to us that God will go to extreme or great lengths to fulfill his purposes and his plans, you see. And that's true in our lives as well. Now, Joseph was the ruler of the country and the one who sold or provided grain to all the people of the country couple things about Joseph. First of all, notice he was a provider. He was a provider. He, he is a type of Christ here in, in this story. He was in a position to be able to provide for the needs of others. God wants his people to be those that can provide, and not just physical needs, but emotional and spiritual needs to those that he leads us to. He wants to bless through us. And he wants our life to be a conduit and a channel of blessing and provision to others, you see. Using our spiritual gifts even and our talents and our abilities and our skills to provide for the body of Christ and to even those outside the body of Christ. But I also want to zero in on this word ruler. It not only means one who is a chief administrator, it also speaks of him being a prince and a warrior. And literally in the Hebrew, the strength of Egypt. Think about that. People gained strength from Joseph. Having someone so competent, so capable, so fearless, so strong, they grew strength from that man. And God wants to do the same thing in our life. He wants us to grow so strong in him that he can bring us into other people's lives and they can grow strong, not 
through us necessarily, but through God who's strengthening us so that then they're not drawn to us ultimately. They're drawn to the God who's making us strong. Joseph, the strength of Egypt. Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground, fulfilling the dream that God gave to Joseph. Wow. Dreams really do come true when they come from God. When God reveals that something's going to happen, we can trust that he will bring it about. And here's another encouragement. Joseph's brothers did everything to make this not happen, right? And what we see again is, but God. God can overrule what men and women do. Because God always has the last word. I want to encourage you with that. Throughout your life, you may have people in your life who try to keep you down, keep you from, do this, do that, whatever. I don't know. You don't get the promotion you feel you deserve. You, you don't get the, you know, the accolade, all these things. Remember something. God is ultimately in control, and no human being, even all the human beings put together, can't stop God from doing what God wants to do in our lives and with our lives and through our lives. God overrules where men rule, and that's found in the story of Joseph. When Joseph's brothers saw, or when Joseph saw his brothers, verse 7, he recognized them because they hadn't changed very much. Remember, they were older than Joseph. But he pretended to be a stranger to them and even spoke harshly to them. Now, in this story, let's remember something. Joseph isn't perfect. Joseph needs a change of heart as well. And, and I think, though, that Joseph was doing most of what God wanted him to do in handling this situation, I really do, and even prolonging it because sometimes the deepest roots in our life and in our heart that need pluck, it takes time to get those out, those deep-seated weeds. And so I think if Joseph would have just come before his brothers and said, I'm your brother Joseph and all of that, it wouldn't have accomplished all that God needed to. It takes time to get it all out, so to speak. But I also will not stand here before you over these next couple of weeks and say that everything that Joseph did and everything that Joseph said was the right thing. I, I don't believe that either, you see. But the reason Joseph's brothers did not recognize him is, remember, he was only 17 when they sold him into slavery. He's now in his 30s. He had changed a lot. And don't forget, too, as an Egyptian, especially an Egyptian official, he was clean-shaven, had shaved his head, shaved his beard. He would have looked nothing in age or in appearance like he looked back when they sold him into slavery. He would have had the accoutrements, if you will, uh, and, and the, like there, the robe and the jewelry and everything of an, an Egyptian official. He would have looked nothing like a Hebrew. And so it makes sense that they would not have recognized him. And he cut him no slack. I mean, it's like he, again, has to have a heart, too, that is healed because he doesn't trust his brothers. And he's been cruelly treated by his brothers, basically 
left to the side of the road like a piece of trash. They could have cared less what happened to him. So God's got to work on his heart too, as well as theirs. God's working on a lot of different hearts at the same time here. Because he's got to bring them all together because they're going to be the foundation for a nation, his chosen people. He asked, where do you come from? They answered, from the land of Canaan to buy grain for food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. God wants to emphasize that. Then Joseph remembered the dreams. He had dreamed about them. Can you imagine? Because even after he had been exalted to be the second most powerful person on planet Earth, the dream still hadn't come true. Remember, it was the dream of his family coming and bowing down to him. And I can only imagine how that buoyed him, how that lifted him up, how that gave him reassurance, like, wow, God, everything I saw in my dream, everything you revealed to me, it's coming true. It, it, it's happening right before my eyes. And not that Joseph didn't have the faith to believe it, but, but just like you and I, you know, I sometimes get so disappointed in myself because I'll pray for something, and then somehow I get surprised that God answered my prayer. You, you know, we Christians can be that way. It's like, I'm surprised that God was faithful as we think about it. He, he listened to me and he answered my prayer and he moved and he worked. It's like, wow, God. And God's probably up there going, that's who I am, right? That's who I've always been. So I'm sure Joseph just in some way, this encouraged him. And I believe that he used this then as a guide to how he handled the rest of this situation for the most part with his brothers and why he took his time because I believe that God was revealing to him, these brothers of yours, they need to come to a place where they will repent of their sin because I need them to do that before I can build a nation out of them. And I need them to change their heart towards you, Joseph. I need them to change their heart towards Benjamin. I need this, them to change their heart towards their father, Jacob. I need them to become a caring, compassionate, loving group of people. Notice something here about God and his priorities for the foundation of churches and, and ministries and, and nations and anything. He's not looking necessarily for the person with the highest IQ, it's not like they had to increase their wisdom and knowledge and all of this. They had to go to extra schooling and all this. No, God was looking for them to be more loving, more caring, more compassionate, more empathetic, more sympathetic. That's the kind of person God was looking for to build something with. Because everything else, that can happen. But those other things, they come from the heart. And God has to work on our heart to get us to that point, you see. So then Joseph remembered the dreams and he said, you're spies. You've come to see if our land is vulnerable. I think Joseph did have a little bit of a skepticism here. Why are all 10 of you here? I don't like the fact that all 10 of you are here and there's Benjamin back there with dad. Something's a little fishy. They exclaimed, no, my Lord, verse 10, your servants have come to buy grain for food. We are all the sons of one man. We're honest servants. We're not spies. No, he insisted, you've come to see if our land is vulnerable. They replied, your servants are from a family of 12 brothers. We are the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is with our father at this time, and one is no longer alive. So you do sort of get the idea that they think Joseph's dead by this time. Can you imagine what Joseph felt like when he heard them say that? 
Joseph told them, it's just as I said to you, you are spies. You will be tested in this way. Remember, testing is not a negative thing. Testing is giving people an opportunity to prove themselves. And that's what Joseph was doing. God does the same thing. That's why in the New Testament, the word for tempt that the devil does to us and the word test that God does to us is actually the same word, just a different motivation behind it. Satan tempts us to destroy us and to to bring us down. God tests us to prove our mettle and to refine and purify who we are, to build us, not to tear us down. Same word, maybe the same fire, but used for a different motivation and different purpose. And so that's what Joseph is doing here. He's testing his brothers to see where their heart is. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not depart from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother while the rest of you remain in prison. In this way, your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he imprisoned them all for three days. Not the same way he was in prison. This speaks of being under house arrest, not the same type of prison Joseph was in. And he did that for three days under house arrest, not three years like he was in prison. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do as I say and you will live, for I fear God. Interesting. He is telling them, I'm under authority too, even though I'm the second most powerful person on the planet. I have a reverence and respect, not for the Egyptian gods, notice, but for Elohim. Ooh, that that should have caused their ears to perk up a little bit. In a sense, he's saying to them, you can trust me. You can trust me. If you are honest men, leave one of your brothers here confined in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain back to your hungry families. Notice that Joseph changed the test. Earlier it was, I'm going to keep all of you. And then after three days, I think, again, God working on his heart, he said, you know what? I do care about my family back there. And the more that I send back, that means the more grain they can carry back. Plus, it's a very dangerous trip. It takes about many months to go back and forth. So Joseph is thinking that they're going to be more protected by the the bigger the caravan is, and they're going to be able to take more supplies and grain back with them. So I think, again, God was working on Joseph's heart too. But you must bring your youngest brother to me. Then your words will be verified and you will not die. They did as he said. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother Notice, their experience is beginning a process of conviction that would lead to repentance and reconciliation. This is what God is looking for. They need to finally face what they have done to their brother 20 years earlier because God has a great purpose and plan for them and it cannot be accomplished until this is dealt with. Until this is dealt with. We saw how distressed he was when we, he cried to us for mercy but refused to listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben said to them, didn't I tell you don't sin against this boy? But you wouldn't listen, so now we must pay for shedding his blood. Notice, they remembered everything that was done and said that day, even though it was 20 years earlier. They had not forgot. I'm sure that they replayed that day in their mind over because it haunted them. It haunted them. There was guilt there. There was shame there. And it needed to be cleaned up in order for God to 
move them forward. They had to face it. I love this, though. They did not know that Joseph was standing there and could understand everything they said, for he was speaking through the interpreter, and he had to turn away from them because he was weeping. His emotions could not be contained any longer because he had buried a lot of emotions about this. And now hearing how they felt and that some of them actually were sticking up for him that day and stuff, he just could not contain it. By the way, this is the first of six times in these last couple of chapters of Genesis that it said Joseph wept. Listen, Joseph was a strong man. There is no question about his masculinity or his strength, but it also shows us you can be a strong man and still weep and still express your emotions. There is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. And that was Joseph. And then he turned to them and spoke to them again, and he took Simeon from them before their eyes and tied him up. Why he chose Simeon when Reuben was the oldest, I don't know. Maybe God revealed that to him. We don't know why he did, but he did. And then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to return each man's money to his sack, to give them provisions for the journey. And his orders were carried out, and they loaded their grain on the donkeys, and they left. Notice, this was an unexpected and undeserved blessing that Joseph gave to them. Again, Sometimes God brings people into our life and we just get so many unexpected, undeserved blessings by having them in our life. And that was Joseph to his brothers. When one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, verse 27, at their resting place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack and he said to his brothers, my money was returned. Joseph paid for their grain. Not only did he give them grain to take back to their family so they wouldn't starve, he gave them their money back too. He was taking care of his family even though his family didn't even know it. Here it is in my sack. And they were dismayed. They turned trembling one to another and said, what in the world has God done to us? couple things. This is the first time in the story that the brothers mentioned God. And isn't it interesting that after this blessing, this undeserved, unexpected blessing of finding this money that even this blessing to them is God punishing them. You see, when, when you and I have things that are unresolved with God, it gives us a warped perspective of God that even when God does something good in our life, we think God's out for us. We think God's punishing us. And we even think that everything bad that happens to us is somehow God getting us back for what we've done. That's why God doesn't want us to live there. Because that's not an accurate picture of God. That's not who God is. But that's who we can begin to see God as when we have things in our life that need to be resolved and we haven't resolved them. So they returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan and he told him all the things that had happened to them. They're beginning to have a change of heart. Why? Because they're being honest and truthful for the first time in their life and not holding anything back. They tell Jacob everything that happened to them. I'm not going to take the time to do it, but I want you to notice something. When they come down to the fact that they need to take Benjamin back, Jacob's like, no way. No way am I losing Benjamin. I've already lost Joseph. I think I've lost Simeon now because now he's there in Egypt. I'm not losing Benjamin either. And notice what Jacob says at the end of verse 36. Everything is against me. Whoa. Really, Jacob? 
You're the chosen of God. God has blessed you materially. He's blessed you physically. He has blessed you spiritually. You wrestled with God and survived. You have a wonderful family. God has provided for you. He's been with you. He, his promises that we sung about tonight, about, what do you mean everything is against you? God wasn't against Jacob. God was for Jacob. But again, when you and I aren't walking with God every day and when we're out of alignment with God, we can begin to interpret our life circumstances and situation in a very awkward way. God wasn't against him. God, in fact, everything that God was doing, God was getting ready to bless Jacob out of his mind. God was going to reunite Jacob with his son. He thought he's lost. God was providing for Jacob's family so they wouldn't starve. God was in all of this, but Jacob couldn't see it. He was blind to it because he had told himself lies for many years. Lies have great power. And that's why you and I have to be careful of the lies that we tell ourselves, especially about God, or the lies that we accept from others. And that's why the truth is the truth of God that sets us free. And notice something else here before I wrap this up tonight. If anybody had a right to say everything is against me, it wasn't Jacob, it would have been Joseph. And yet Joseph never said everything is against me. Jo Joseph prospered every step of the way in spite of being sold into slavery and thrown into a pit and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and forgotten by the cupbearer over and over again. He could have looked at the circumstances of his life and said, God, why are you against me? He never said that. Because he kept holding on to the, to the God who he knew loved him and cared about him, and he kept holding on to the promises and the dreams that God gave to him. And then Reuben, verse 37, said to his father, you may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will bring him back to you. Notice again now, some of these brothers are starting to step up, starting to be a little selfless, aren't they? Starting to be a little sacrificial, aren't they? God is changing their heart. But Jacob replied, my son will not go down there with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If an accident happens to him on the journey you may have to make, then you will bring down my gray hair in sorrow to the grave. And that's where chapter 42 ends. And we'll end tonight with this. And I hope that this will be a great help to you and an encouragement to you and an exhortation to you as it is to me. A great portion of our present despair and discouragement arises from not fully trusting God who alone knows all things. I sure will. A great portion of our present despair and discouragement arises from not fully trusting God who alone knows all things. Jacob was not in a good place. Everything is against me. No. You're only seeing this little slice. God's working all over the place because God is accomplishing many things at the same time. And Jacob, if you only trusted God and if you only trusted the one and the only one who knows all things, 
because none of us knows all things. And that's why we've got to trust God. And that's why many times, though, we land like Jacob in that pit of despair and discouragement because we're only looking at what we can see, which is why God calls his people to walk by faith and not by sight. Because when we can only see a little bit and then we judge the whole by that little bit that only we can see, we're not trusting in the God who loves us, cares about us, and knows all things. And we have to trust that he's working in ways and working in angles and working on sides that we can't see and maybe we'll never see. Because only God has it all the puzzle pieces put together. We only have a few that are right before us. And that's the message of Genesis 42. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that once again, even as we sung through our worship time, God, how faithful you are, how wonderful you are, how trustworthy you are, reliable, dependable you are to your promises, that God, our hope has to be in you. And God, every step of the way, we can live with that confident expectation, knowing, God, that you've got us, that you surround us, that you go before us, that you're even providing for us even before we get there. God, that's who you are. So, Lord, help us to just walk by faith and trust in the God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And Lord, who is the only one that knows all things. Thank you, God, for unfolding for all of us this great story of redemption and repentance and restoration and reconciliation. And God, it just shows again that it's just only stuff that you can do. And Lord, may we today trust you for only what you can do and believe and rest that you can do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.